Welcome to Thriller Premium. Welcome to Thriller Premium. In-depth coverage and timely analysis of macro and micro happenings in crypto and Bitcoin. Welcome to Thriller Insider. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from around the world, my name is Carr, Carr Gonzalez. Today is May 30th, 2020, and we are talking the great monetary inflation. Now, this is an episode that I've been trying to get recorded for a long time. Um, it took quite a few few weeks to put this together as far as just research and really diving in deep into how quantitative easing works and how this great monetary inflation is just coming almost at a, a running brick wall that we're headed towards. Now, today we're going to talk about it all. And at the end, we're going to talk about how Bitcoin confronts this and can be used as, as a deflationary asset against this monetary inflation. So let's dive in. As quantitative easing approaches infinity, it simply has to have an impact on things, right? If you look at where we are in the state of the world, the amount of money that has been printed is just on an unprecedented level. Quantitative easing is a tool that central banks use, right? They inject money directly into the economy. Money is either physical, like banknotes, or digital, like the money in your bank account. Now, quantitative easing involves us creating digital money. And so many of us like to say it's burr, 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 burr. <laughs> but in actuality, it's more like beep, that a beep, boom, boom, beep. <laughs> when we use things like quantitative easing to buy government debt in the form of bonds, or you may hear it be called QE or an asset purchase. Now, these are the same thing. The aim of quantitative easing is simple. By creating this new money, we aim to boost spending an investment in the economy. Now, when governments increase the quantity of paper money, it takes more pieces of paper to buy things that have fixed quantities like stocks and real estate. They settle above where they would absent an increase in the amount of money. So, for example, we have an exorbitant amount of money that's been printed here in the past you know, few months, right? I think we're at six or seven trillion dollars currently right now. A lot of that is getting fed to places like BlackRock, or actually it's getting handed off to BlackRock, we should say. And what they're doing is they're allocating the money to certain areas of interest that suit them. They're making the investments for the government. It's almost like how you would have the military industrial complex and how one third of the United States federal spending goes towards that. Well, currently right now, <laughs> the entire trillions of dollars that have been printed are getting allocated to BlackRock and they are using this allocated printed money 
for these type of assets, like stocks, like real estates, like hedge funds, right? The policy is already achieving its goal, right? The S&P 500 is actually above its May 31st, 2019 level, which is ridiculous. <laughs> there is no chance that would be true without trillions of these new dollars. The flood of new money will float all these boats in the short term. But inflating the price of other fixed quantity assets like gold, Bitcoin, and other cryptocurrencies, it will cause them to increase in price as well. Now, Bitcoin has an inflation curve transparently laid out for 100 years in advance. Nobody knows how many dollars will be printed this year or next. I mean, some people suspect anywhere between 10 and 11, 12 trillion at this point. If you plot inflation curves for Bitcoin and you put it against a USD chart, you will see that Bitcoin's curve will be going down and the dollars will be going up. And that's because it's uh, supply and inflation over time. As we continue this state of every 10 minutes for a Bitcoin to be mined, we see the supply drop slowly, surely heading towards 21 million. Now, on the other hand, you see the fiat currency, the US dollar, that increases over time. And I'll go ahead and put a chart here in the show notes so you can take a look at that. It's pretty fascinating to see the USD supply changes so abruptly here in the past 11, 12 years. And the main problem with dollars and other traditional currencies is that the inflation surges aren't coordinated with the people who use the money. It's, it's obvious that the wealthy are getting the vast majority of the trillions of dollars that have been printed here in the past three months. They're the ones that own these real estate blocks all over the world. This is what causes those prices to go up. Now, the great monetary inflation will come to a head at some point, but you don't have to take my word for it. Take a listen to Mark Yusko as he talks more about the great monetary inflation. We're witnessing is, uh, I call it, I refer to it as, as hashtag the dictator playbook. And, and this is what, what dictators do. So dictators get into power and they surround themselves with their cronies. They concentrate the assets amongst their cronies. And then they systematically uh, devalue the currency and cause a nominal, and the key word there is nominal, price spike in assets. So whether it's real estate assets or, or financial assets, and uh, you know, I'll give you an example. So back um, when Zimbabwe had their uh, challenges a decade ago, the number one performing stock market two years running was the Zimbabwean stock market. Yeah. Now, you didn't want to own any Zimbabwean stocks because their currency, you've all seen the pictures of the starving billionaires, and I actually have on my desk a hundred trillion Okay, can let that number sink in for a second. A one hundred trillion with a T dollar bill that would not buy a loaf of bread. So, you know, and trillion. And by the way, no, we've all become numb to the word trillion. Mm. Yet, for listeners to remember, a trillion is one dollar every second for the next thirty-one thousand seven hundred and ten years. It's a very, very, very large number, and we throw it around like it's nothing. And so. Fast forward to Venezuela. What's the best performing stock market the last two years? Venezuela. Venezuela. Do you want to own Venezuelan stocks? Hell no. Unless you're Maduro and the cronies and you own the assets in Bolivars, you crush 
the boulevard and your asset prices go way up and then you sell those assets to unwitting foreign investors who come in and pay you full price in, guess what, dollars or renminbi or something else. And so it's very, very lucrative. So what's happening in the U.S. is we have this, you know, fake scare. Uh, You know, look, we've been living with viruses for thousands of years as a species, thousands of years. We've been living with viruses of all kinds. There are viruses around you right now. There are viruses around me. Everywhere you look, there are viruses. And we survive, right? How do we survive, right? We build up immunity to certain viruses. Everybody's like, oh, this one's different. It's not different. It's not different at all. In fact, if you're under the age of 45, this virus is the flu. It's no worse than the flu. If you're 45 to 65, it's like double flu. If you're over 65, okay, it's a nasty little bugger, but it's not SARS. I mean, SARS killed 10% of the people it touched. MERS, one-third. Ebola, 50%. It's nothing like any of those, right? It's worse than a bad flu if you're over 65, but still, it's not anything that we should shut down the global economy for. In fact, we've never shut down the global economy for any viral pandemic, nor should we this time. But here was where we are. So getting back to your your question of what's going on is the nominal price of assets is rising again. But if you look at the value of the S&P or the Dow denominated in gold, the price is actually not rising. What's happening is we're devaluing our currency because the only way out of a massive debt bubble. Right. Here's the thing. All empires fall. Everyone, right? right? Roman Empire, Ottoman Empire, British Empire, American Empire is in process of falling. Now, how do they fall? Well, a dictator comes in or an emperor or whatever you want to call them, and they overspend, right? They incur massive amounts of debt. And so that debt, when you incur a lot of debt, you only have four options. You can pay it back. You can restructure it. You can default on it or you can inflate it away. If you're a governor, government, you know, if you're a government person, you have no choice, right? You can't pay it back. It's impossible. Uh, uh, your tax base isn't big enough, and no one really you know, pays taxes, or what, no one should pay taxes, given that we can just print the money, right? Yeah. Second is you don't want to restructure the debt because then you get kicked out of office. And this is one of the things I talk about all the time, which is there's no political parties, right? There's no left, there's no right, there's no Republicans, there's no Democrats, there's no liberals or conservatives. There's in and out. And when you're out of power, you do or say whatever it takes to get in. And once you're in, you do or say whatever it takes to stay in. And think about this. Ronald Reagan is rolling over in his grave thinking that the banana Republicans have taken over. We have a Republican Senate and a Republican president, theoretically, And we just created the largest peacetime deficit in the history of our republic. That's impossible, right? What about the Tea Party? They were going to keep us to a balanced budget. Ha, ha, ha. So all this stuff is is happening because you can't restructure the debt. You can't default on the debt because then you really get kicked out. So the only thing you can do is inflate it away. So money printer go burr, the meme that's out there. Yeah. It exists for a reason, because the money printer is going burr, and we are literally destroying the value of the greenback, and and it will die 
you know, this horrible death, like every other currency in history, uh, where countries get over indebted and they print, they try to print their way out of it. And it happened to the UK at the turn of the century. That's why we have the world reserve currency now. Well, here's the interesting thing. You know, in 1913, the UK was the world reserve currency. I mean, the, the pound sterling was the world reserve currency. The sun never set on the British empire and they were the most powerful nation in the world. And we were an emerging market run by a gang. Actually, in 1913, we were run by two gangs, the Irish gang and the Italian gang. It wasn't until 1929, Valentine's Day, when the Italian gang finally killed off all the the Irish gang uh, in Chicago. So we're an emerging market run by gangs. If you ever watch the movie Gangs in New York, you Mm -hmm. understand what I'm talking about. And it was really not a fun place to live, actually. Um, But the UK invaded Mesopotamia, incurred a bunch of debt. The pound sterling collapsed. And over the next 30 years, America rose to ascendancy. We got the world reserve currency. Then, coincidentally, in 2003 and again in 2012, we invaded Mesopotamia, incurred a bunch of debt. The dollar collapsed. The renminbi ascended. Chinese became the most powerful. Wait, that is exactly what's happening. And so now we're at Cold War 2.0 with China and or China, as the guy likes to call it. (laughs) And. What, what people are missing is it all is kabuki theater to divert attention from what's actually happening, which is the most massive theft of wealth in the history of our nation. And it's going from the poor and the middle class to the top. I call it one percentilism. And the fact that we are actually voting for the people that are doing it to us is mind-boggling, right? But that's what happens in every dictatorship. If you go back throughout all of history, the charismatic leaders get into office by promising all this stuff. Like, I remember, you know, our current president came to North Carolina back four years ago, and he was on TV telling these textile workers who had lost their jobs to the plants that moved over to China, I'm going to get your job back. Like he's talking to this one woman. I'm going to bring your job back to North Carolina. No, he's not. He he was never going to. He never planned to. There was no way he could. But those people believed it. And they they fly Trump flags down in the beach in North Carolina because they believe this guy, even though he lies to their face. And it's it's truly dazzling where we've gotten ourselves. And this is exactly how uh, how could Christina Kirshner get back into power in Argentina. I mean, she's a horrible human being, first of all. Second, she steals, she lies. I mean, and yet, how did she get elected? By promising the poor free electricity, you know, government subsidies. So if you were a despot, what would you do? Well, you would find a way to impoverish the largest number of people possible. To your point, the largest number of people out of work since the Great Depression. You would then hook them on government assistance. We'll call it UBI because it sounds cool, universal basic income. It's basically just an addiction to government handouts. You would imprison them in their homes and you would feed them crappy food to lower their immune system. And then the boomer eraser virus would get rid of a few of them. Now, maybe that's way too far down the, the, the hole that we don't want to go down, but Look, that's I said I'm already on the list, so I can say that stuff. Now you can disagree with Mark on his take. You can say everything that he said is bogus, but if you look at just the nuts and bolts of what he said, 
As far as the economy coming to a standstill, the great monetary inflation that's happening before our eyes, the effect's still the same. It doesn't matter how we get from point A to point B, the effect is still the same. It still happened, right? However it happened, really in the grand scheme of things, that's for the history books. The fact that it happened, that it's occurring now, says a lot more about the state of America and the rest of the world. Now, economists and analysts are paid and almost incentivized to operate within this existing Keynesian system. Government-based inflationary economics is <laughs> what it's called. To a certain degree, we are all incentivized in a way to support the current system since we all pay our rent in fiat or our mortgage in fiat, our other bills, our cell phone bills, our consumer electronics, all being paid in fiat. That is until the system breaks down, which when it does happen, this game of musical chairs will be over and someone will be left with no chair to sit in. Now, Paul Tudor Jones is the famous hedge fund manager, and he just recently came to this conclusion in a very public way. When I think about what's happening right now, um, we're really probably depending upon how long this lasts. If it's if we're a year from now, we're still in the same situation. We will be, and what will be called the second depression. Just depends on whether, unfortunately, this goes to a year with this kind of a lockdown, another year with this kind of a lockdown. So 1.2 million New Yorkers have lost their jobs the last two and a half months. And I, I, I say to my, I think to myself, I wonder how many of that 1.2 million somewhere in my nearly five decades in this city either opened a door for me or served me a meal, or maybe they were a tour guide, or maybe they were a taxi cab driver. Who knows what they do, but I wonder how many of those 1.2 million that I intersected with. And then I think, okay, they served me and gave me some of the greatest memories of my entire life, as well as uh, are responsible for the success I've had. So here, and supporting any charity, really anywhere, I'm thinking New York, because this is the epicenter. I'm thinking, okay, this is my chance to serve them. This, uh, this is my chance to be of service to them, uh, to try to equalize the ledger. Uh, and I wanna be able to say in 20 years, to my grandchildren that uh, when they asked me, what did I do in the second depression? I want to look them in the eye and I want to tell them I did more than I ever thought I could do. I think that's the measure. And what he thought about doing was endorsing Bitcoin. And that's a big thing. It's a huge win for our space. If you look at just the institutional lending on the Bitcoin side, it continues to set records. Now, Genesis Capital is the lending arm of industry-leading crypto broker Genesis Global Trading. The firm offers institutions the ability to borrow Bitcoin and other digital currencies in large sizes 
over fixed terms. And I'll put a graph of this in the show notes. Now, some of the key takeaways that we have seen here recently. Just this past quarter alone, Genesis Capital had its largest quarter ever in its digital asset lending business. They added more than $2 billion in new originations, doubling their previous record of $1 billion, which has set the previous quarter 354%. Now, active loans outstanding has hit its all-time high of $1 billion for Genesis in mid-February. As of April 30th, 2020, this is sitting at $888 million. Wouldn't be surprised if Genesis passes their all-time high next quarter. As you can see, a Bitcoin borrowing dominates Genesis loan book. Their team has clarified in the past that Bitcoin borrowing is used predominantly for either working capital purposes or arbitrage market making opportunities. So it's obvious that people are looking at Bitcoin as a hedge, right? Because you got to ask yourself this one question. With the current Fed leadership right now, they made this the centerpiece of its new monetary policy framework. And they've gone on 60 Minutes and they've gone on other telecasts. They've even done Zoom meetings. <laughs> and they have said the same thing. They will do whatever it takes to overshoot the inflation target in the recovery phase. Now, this is a risky strategy. If the Phillips curve is truly flat, it requires a large increase in interest rates to bring inflation under control. But a more levered economy is also one that does not digest interest rate increases well. So when the time for liftoff finally occurs, any hiking cycle is likely to be delayed and unambitious. Furthermore, the risk of a complicit central bank chairman cannot be easily dismissed given that central bank independence is no longer a sacred cow. High debt accommodated by money printing is difficult to banish. Once you start something, it's difficult to stop. Inflation expectations could one day respond to this reality. It is the risk of fiscal dominance that makes the current GMI potentially inflationary during the next cycle or upswing. Now, we've seen this happen in the past, right? There was a flare up in the late 1930s and in the 40s when the Fed was strong armed to keep rates low and to monetize treasury debt issuance well beyond the economic recovery phase. But this time it's a little bit different. Let's talk seeking refuge from the great monetary inflation.
So with this monetary growth as a backdrop, right? There's only so many ways you can navigate this extraordinary time that we're in, especially with the, the Fed policy actions that have taken place over the past few months. I would even say for almost a full year at this point, if we go back to the money markets last year. So where can we hold our fiat? Like where, do, where is the store value these days? Well, there's gold, right? There's uh, the stock market. I could throw it in NASDAQ, 100. or I mean, they've proven that they're going to do whatever it takes to keep the stock market propped up. Who, who knows how long? Hopefully, hopefully no one gets uh, completely wrecked. But if you're looking to say bet on the crisis going a different way, there's really only one place you could go, especially if you want to see your fiat grow with the times. That's Bitcoin. It's no secret that Bitcoin has gone up year over year. You know, if you look at just the past decade alone, Bitcoin in itself has increased in purchasing power far greater <laughs> than anybody could have seen. I would say most people under the age of 40 aren't looking at getting gold bars, right, as their first option. They're looking to put it into stocks or real estate or, or Bitcoin. There's a lot of people that are a lot younger than myself that are looking at Bitcoin as a potential hedge for this I mean, it's just, these are crazy times. These are crazy times. So owning Bitcoin is a great way to defend yourself against this great monetary inflation. But you don't have to take my word for it. Take a listen to Barry Silbert, one of the brightest minds in the space, talk about Bitcoin and its future. So, well, let's, let's first talk about what is money. Money is nothing more than what society decides it is. So over history, money's taken lots of forms. Money has been rocks, it's been salt, it's been wampum, it's been squirrel pelts. And uh, you know, for a period of time, uh, you know, precious metals, gold and otherwise served as a, as a medium of exchange. And then we moved into, uh, into, into you know, paper representation of money, and then we moved into digital representation of money. And I think it's fair to say that you know, in, in the future, it's gonna be digital and it's gonna be what society decides it's gonna be. And you know, gold has played an important part uh, from a cultural significance perspective um, and you know, certainly from a historical perspective as a form of or a store of value. But I think what many gold investors don't seem to appreciate is that the next generation of investors, the next generation of asset allocators do not view gold the same way that our parents or grandparents did. And I think part of it is due in large part to that clip that you just played. Um, if you were you know, born you know, in, the, in the 70s, um, you didn't grow up on the gold standard. And so there was never this belief ingrained in you that you know, gold had some you know, kind of uh, you know, mythical value, government supported value. And then also, fortunately, if you you know were born in the seventies, you never you didn't grow up and didn't have a direct exposure to you know war and to, and to you know situations where you had to be able to you know keep and store value you know outside of the system. And so for younger investors, they view gold as you know kind of our our grandparents you know way of of storing money. 
and they dismiss it. They dismiss it outright. And and so, you know, if over the next couple of decades, there's estimated $68 trillion of wealth that's going to be handed down. That's just in the U.S. So $68 trillion of wealth is going to be handed down from baby boomers to Gen X and Gen Y and millennials. I'm absolutely convinced that whatever of that $68 trillion is currently in gold, it's not going to stay in gold. I'm not saying it's going to go on to Bitcoin, but I, I know it's not going to stay into gold. And so if gold s- stops performing the way that gold investors think it should in periods of high inflation or macroeconomic you know, dislocation, I think it's I, I think it's game over. I think it's I think I think investors, the next generation investors are going to are going to put their money elsewhere. But you must remember a store value is anything that holds its purchasing power in the future It is completely a function of people's perception of its worth. And right now with the great monetary inflation, it's quite obvious that people do not see fiat or the United States dollar as a place to hold your wealth. Now, Paul Tudor Jones said, and I quote, Bitcoin reminds me of gold when I first got in the business in 1976. Gold had just been productized as a futures instrument, like Bitcoin recently, and had enjoyed a heck of a bull market, almost tripling in price. It then corrected almost 50% in nearly two years, similar to Bitcoin's 28-month 80% correction. You can see the similarities. He's right. If you look at the gold price in the 1970s, you look at the Bitcoin price in its current form, it's on track to have a massive bull market here in the next 18 to 24 months. This is where you seek refuge from the great monetary inflation. It's quite obvious. Ladies and gentlemen, another Thriller Insiders Dunsies. This was a fascinating one. It, it required a lot of research, uh, quite a lot of time, um, but it was worth it. Right now, we're in unprecedented times. Uh, we don't have to talk politics or anything like that to really lay that as the ground truth. But I think getting information out there is more than necessary for everybody. So by all means, share this with people. This is going to change the way people live here in the near future. And if most people aren't seeing the train wreck that's coming, gosh, that's going to be a mess. So make sure to share this with your family, share this with your friends. Let them know what's really going on. I think when we see this next cash crisis succumb to a head, It's going to be far worse than it is now. Be safe out there. See you next time.